Take a deep breath. And exhale softly. If you need to adjust your body, do so mindfully as we begin our talk. Without disturbing this sense of mindfulness and ease, adjust yourself, preparing for the talk. There are some principles and practices that are absolutely foundational to our work, our healing and our growth. As a teacher and psychologist, none are more important than awareness for me. There's open awareness in which everything arises, sounds, sensations, thoughts, beliefs, breath, images. And then there is focused awareness. Using your awareness to focus on specific attributes of yourself or nature so we focus on sound or breath or thought. We can go from focused attention to open spacious awareness. But when we are talking about changing ourselves, growing, transforming, we must develop a self-awareness, an observation, a skill of observation, because you can't change what you can't see. So I was in bed one night, and normally I sleep very well, but this night I was up till three or something, just laying in bed, and so I know this is a chance for me to practice. I don't fight being up. What I do is encourage myself to practice and witness what's it like to be me laying in bed until three in the morning. And I would have streams of thoughts. Perhaps a, a situation would arise in which I found myself angry and I'd watch myself become the angry version of myself. And I'd watch that angry version of myself acting out in a situation and my body became tense, heart rate would go up, blood pressure was clearly going up. And in my imagination, I saw myself acting as angry Mike would act, solving problems as angry Mike would solve. And then that stream dissipated into breath, stillness, and then another stream came forward and I thought of a friend who hadn't reached out or a friend I felt, whatever, maybe sense of neediness toward. And I watched my needy Mike interacting in this play. And I watched my body interacting with this narrative. And that happened throughout the entire night. Different aspects of myself were coming to visit me in the form of imagination and narrative. And each one had a different physical, somatic, emotional tone. And these are the characters that I play out in my life. Some skillful, many not. And what I realized is the night that Buddha was enlightened, he sat 
and he was visited by demons, by sensual images. He was visited by all types of archetypes that were trying to challenge his equanimity. But none could quite challenge his equanimity because he was firm in sitting still and observing. And I realized that night that that's what I was practicing. And this is what I teach. So I have a patient who's in the middle of learning how not to throw tantrums. She's in her late 30s. She finds herself still throwing things around the house. But one day she was watching herself throw things around the house and she's like, I don't need to do that. You know, in the middle of it, she's like, this is kind of silly. That's freedom. That one very moment where she saw herself throwing stuff around the room and she recognized that she became a character, she was her own character, was the moment she found liberation. Now, there's a lifelong practice of getting herself calmed down, feeling safe and not throwing stuff around the room. About two months ago, I was overwhelmed. Lots of things going on and just one email. It was that proverbial straw in the camel's back. And I'm like, I can't take it anymore. And I told my wife, I'm going to freak out. I'm going to freak out. I'm going to, I'm going to destroy this house. That's what I used to do as a teenager. Just bust everything, you know. And for two minutes, I just kept saying that. I'm going to, I'm going to throw this fucking table. And I just, I was just watching myself going, oh, dude, how funny. Like that's your 40 year old response to being overwhelmed. I didn't do anything, but do you know what, do you know what relief it is to see yourself wanting to act in certain ways and then not actually doing it? It's a lot of freedom. Now it still arises in me. As a Buddhist teacher, psychologist, I can't help that internal child in me who wants to destroy things, but I can as a person not re- react to that. And that is the power of observation. Another patient has panic attacks and in the middle of a panic attack last Sunday, she saw herself panicking and there was no threat. She both recognized her panic and that there was no threat and she was able to pull herself out. That is the power of observation. This is where we begin to change. When you start seeing yourself clearly and then you see yourself in the middle of the thing, you're like, don't do that. Like, that's like totally silly. And you're like, it is totally silly. And at other times, I might find myself deep in crying and I'm on the ground bawling deeply and then I'm like, what are you doing? You're fine. I'm like, oh, I am fine. And then I get up, nothing wrong with bawling. I'm not saying crying's a thing, but what I'm saying is I was giving in to despair, whatever that thing was overwhelming. And I saw it happening. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm fine. I'm like, I am fine. And I stood up and laughed and I was like, okay. I mean, we all go through this. What we want to do is cultivate... A, sense of awareness and observation of ourselves in the moment where then we can step out of it. So that's our first practice we want to talk about. The second one is reflection. My teachers keep asking me to be really aware of my behavior. So at the end of the day, I look back at my behavior and I said, was my actions, were my actions aligned with the teachings? Did I act in the way that the wise would approve? At the end of each day, I reflect back on myself and I think, did I act today in a way that the wise or my teachers or my wife or my friends whom I trust would approve or would they go, uh, not skillful? 
this simple act of reflection holds yourself accountable. No one else is going to do it for you. Not your mom. She wants to, but she can't. My mom still tries. No one in your life can hold you accountable but yourself. And your reflection is the way we can start doing that. Those of us who practice consistent reflection start doing that throughout the day and before we engage in behavior, we're already practicing reflection. Would this thing be the thing tonight? I go, oh, I wish I didn't do that. I do that all the time, but the the, the process is learning how to do the reflection more often and it helps by starting at night looking back and then as you get good at that, you start in the day looking forward. Is this thing I'm about to do skillful, wise, and healthy? If not, maybe I need to step away for a second and rethink. So what we want to do is build a sense of observation of ourself and then reflect and then reflect forward. Does this make sense? Two very basic skills that you can do anytime. You can practice this all the time, in fact, until it gets second nature. And now before I'm making a mistake, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this mistake consciously at least. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And then you look back and go, I knew that was coming. I knew I was going to, you know. Hey, that's a great start, actually. Encourage your kids to make conscious mistakes. If you're going to do it, do it. But know you're doing it. Know who's smoking that cigarette. (laughs) So, observation and reflection. Reflection is looking back and it actually starts to be reflection of what's coming. You have the ability to look into the future. So I want to give you a few minutes to talk with each other about what what behavior are you ready to look at, to start observing yourself doing in the moment so that you can go, stop doing that. And how might reflection actually serve you in this process? So you have people all around you, if you could take a few minutes, talk about what do you want to change and how will observation help you? And then how will reflection also work for you? And have you done it? Does it help? Does it not help? I'll call you back in a few moments.